Today we begin the ninth parak of Maseches Ksubas, Parak HaKurisev, and you can see that's at the top of Daf Pei Gimel. Before we begin the actual Mishnah, we glance at the side, we have a Nosei Mivneh heading, we have a triangle that's featured. These triangles highlight L'Shoinus Shoinim, different expressions. Shebohem HaBaal Mesalik is Atzmo Minichse Ishto through which the husband removes himself from his wife's properties. Properties that the wife brings into the marriage. And up till now we've seen extensive discussion concerning the different rights the husband has to those properties. In this Mishnah we see him trying to remove himself from, uh, from those rights. A man writes, and the term writes is something that will occupy the Gemara at the very beginning discussion. Does it mean actually writing or saying? But whatever the case is, he expresses himself in the following language, saying that meaning of whatever laws and words, I have not, nothing to do with your property. That's a literal translation, but it basically means I have no dealings with your properties. Does that, does that have any effectiveness? So we say, not full, not fully. The husband will continue to be allowed to benefit from fruits produced by those properties. And if his wife dies, he will inherit her. So if, the, if he, he continues to benefit from the fruits, he has inheritance, inheritance rights. So of what value was this information, was this statement? What was he removing himself from? The Gemara answers, What he has done is he's removed himself from the power that he ordinarily would have had to cancel her sales. If a, in a regular husband-wife relationship, if a wife attempts to sell properties she brought into the marriage, the husband can veto that. Here you see an additional word in his removal statement. He adds, Ubeperosehem. What results does that have? Here we squiggle under on word Eno to highlight, to accentuate that he does not have fruit rights. If she dies, though, he will continue to be able to inherit that field. The Tanakama spoke about the husband not being allowed to eat the fruits. What about the fruits of the fruits. For example, if the fruits of the field produced were used to purchase another piece of property, the uh, fruits produced from that second piece of property would be called peri peros. That's just by way of, uh, let's say, our initial thinking of this. Um, the Gomorrah will ask the question that if Rabbi Huda is essentially a continuation of the Tanakama and is in agreement that he's not allowed to eat the peros, so that means the peros are, are, are gone as far as the husband is concerned. So where would the peri peros come from? That, as I said, will be this, a discussion in the Gemara. So as far as Rabbi Huda is concerned, he continues, he will be able to benefit from the peri peros, 
עד שיכתוב לו דין ודבורם אין לי בנכוסך ובפרוסם ובפרי פרוסם עד עולם. Unless he writes this expression, which is uh, fairly inclusive, he removes himself from the properties, the peros and the perusem, peri perusem, adolam, forever. The Gemara itself will look into this lengthy expression and say, are all the terms really needed in order to be effective? Chosav law, a husband says to his wife, he writes to his wife, Ainli, dinudvarm Ainli bin Chosayach, so he removes himself from the properties and the fruits and he indicates during her lifetime and after her death well what are the results of that and here you see the we'll see the nuance uh, the new point and that is that if when, if she dies during his lifetime, he, the husband, will not inherit her. Rav Shimon ben Gamliel Oimer, im mesa yiroshena. On regarding that second point, Rav Shimon argues and says that if she dies during his lifetime, he will inherit her. Because he is making a condition against that which is in the Torah. The Torah says that a husband shall inherit his wife. Now, that's of course, if, if you take this literally, that means that Yerusha Sabal, the husband's inheritance of his wife, is a Torah provision. And a person cannot make conditions against Torah provisions. Anyone who tries to make a condition against that which the Torah states, his condition is void. On the side of the Gemara, we have a Nosei topic heading, Mosai Amrinon Deloshon Dinudvarim Toyface, U Mosai Amrinon Delo Omar Klum. When do we say that this expression, the Dinudvarim expression, takes hold, and when is it tantamount to nothing? The Gemara, Tony Rebbe Chia. Rebbe Chia is the author of Tanaic sources that we call Brysis. Rabbi Chia, in his source, he writes, he says, Ha'oymer lishto. He doesn't use the expression Ha'koysev. What does that difference indicate? That indicates that you don't have to have an actual text written indicating the husband's removal, but speech alone is sufficient. Speech alone is sufficient without any Kenyan, without any um, tra- act of transaction or without any writing. The Gemara continues, even if he writes it out, and, and certainly if he just speaks it out, my have so what? What uh, value is there? We have a Tanaic source that features a field owned by partners. One says to the other, all kinds of expressions that indicate someone is removing himself from his share in the field. None of these expressions work because you're lacking what we call a Loshon Matona. 
Loshin uh, Matana. Matana is a gift, an expression indicating that, that A is giving to B. So if you don't have that kind of expression that indica- indicates a giving over of, all that we have here are expressions of the party is removing himself from. That's not something that has, uh, we'll say, legal uh, import at this point. So just saying I'm removing myself from, that's ineffective. So, we, so how can our Mishnah describe that same expression as having halachic value? The Gemara answers, Amri Debei Rabbianai Kahana. It's not as we suggested that the that the expression has no value. It, it depends when it is used. So that our Mishnah describes. Um, a man who hasn't consummated his marriage yet with her. They're married, but only at the first stage, the Erusin stage. And it's at that point that he uses this removal expression. And it works. Based on Rav Kahana's teaching, Dom Rav Kahana, Nachlo mimokom acher, a, uh, we'll call it an inheritance that is is not uh, through strict, let's say, the demise of a, of a benefactor that's in the chain of inheritance. In other words, a father dying, leaving properties. That's a, that's a, um, a Torah-sanctioned benefactor that dies, leaving property for his heirs. But there is another kind of nachla, that's Anachla Lohabol Lodomimokamachir, Rashi says Mimokamachir, Sheeno Yerusha Savoisov. Something that's not an inheritance from his forebears. Elo Ayade Maisov Tavolo. But as a result of his doing, an action of his doing something, Kigonachlas Ishto Aboleadi Nisuin Shalo. A person inherits his wife, but it's because he did an act of marrying her. That's anachlo habomi mokom acher. Toheil mishum takanto didei tikun rabbonon because of for his benefit the rabbis established it. Vehu ba limchol aleha and he's coming to forfeit it to forego it. Mochel he's able to do so uche de rav huna in accordance with rav huna. So we continue with this uh, halacha that's kind of a step-by-step halacha till it's uh, concretized, because we didn't see Rav Huna's name mentioned yet, the Gemara will get to it. So we continue back in the Gemara. Rav Kana says that a nachla ha a person can state a condition, shalo yiroshena, and through that condition, he will not inherit it. Uchedorava, based on Rava's teaching, Yom Rava, a person who says, "E efshi betakonas chachomim kegon zu." Person says, "I can't. Um, it's I don't. It's not good. I, I don't want this takona. I don't want this enactment to work. This enactment that was made on my behalf to work on my behalf. In other words, I don't want it. I forfeit it. Kegon zu. We'll explain that expression shortly. Shoyman lo. We listen to him. My kegon zu. What is?" What is a what is meant by that? What Rava is referring to a particular enactment. What enactment is he referring to? Kidravuna Omarav. The Omaravuna Omarav, Yehoilo Isha Shetoima Labaila, a woman can tell her husband, Aini Nizonis, we aini oisa. I don't want you to I don't want your support. 
and I will and 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 and, and as a result of that, I am not going to provide you with my income. So, with this, uh, we'll say this halachic construction in mind, that a person can uh, forfeit um, benefits that were enacted for him. That that is a reality. Now, it was it was pointed out in the name of the the Bey Rabbi that that works when she's still an arusa. The Gemara asks, So why does it say only at the first stage of marriage? Why not after marriage, after a total marriage as well? Omar Abaye Nesua Yodoi Kiyoda Rav Omar Yodo Adifa Miyoda Abaye and Rav for our sugya, believe it or not are in, in agreement uh, there is a difference between Abaye's statement and Rova's statement. The Gemara says, Nafkamina l'shemeres yavam. The difference between Abaye and Rova has bearings in Maseches Yavamas. We're not going to get into that now, but there, there is a manifestation of the difference. But not regarding the idea or the power of removal. What do Abaye and Rova have in common? And that is that after Nisuin, the husband is an equal to the wife. He is like a partner in the nechosim, in her properties. So we saw before that when you're a partner in properties, you need to have a stronger language than simply one's removal from. You'd have to have a language indicating I am giving over to, a loshen matona. Before we continue in the Gemara, we glance at the side, we have a tat no say, a subtopic heading, we, which reads, Lafi ha de kotoni de loomar klum, ma yehe im konu miyodo. According to what we've said till now, is that in a case of a husband and wife, let us say, that are nisuim, or in a case of partners, shukvim, where the expression din udvorim is meaningless, what would happen if they do a kinyan, a transaction gesture? Kenyan, uh, the most popular form of Kenyan, when you see the term Kenyan alone in isolation, it would be the, we'll call the handkerchief exchange, a Kenyan sudar. It's a gesture that indicates, in general, it indicates the confirmation or the establishment of a legal transaction or uh, possibly a legal change of status. So the Gemara asks, Ibayalaho. Uh, and, and Rashi, by the way, he focuses this question on the brisa above, which had to do with the field, as we mentioned, the field owned by partners, where the expression din udvaram ein li al sodazu was ineffective. The, the question here is konu miyado mahu. Let us say a, a kinyan was done as well. Omar Rav Yosef, we have two approaches. Rav Yosef says it's basically meaningless. Midin udvaram konu miyado. What, what, uh, that you made a Kenyan, you made, made a Kenyan on that which you said. You said something that's ineffective. The Kenyan does not uh, add to the, to the effectiveness of something uh, uh, which at its base is ineffective. Rav Nachman Omar, Migufa Shokarka Konu Miyado. Rav Nachman says it is effective that the Kenyan. Uh, is uh, relevant or focused on the actual property itself. 
Omar Abaye, Mistabra Milsa de Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef's point is most likely the Gemara continues at the top of Omid Bey's Be'orer. Avo Be'oimed Migufa Shel Karka Konu Miyado. This is an example, as there are many examples, that a Gemara without the Rashi is simply a closed book. So we look at Rashi at the top, Be'orer. Kishebo Chavero Bechelko. We had two partners, and one of them originally said, Dinu and in our case, and he made a Kenyan. The a second partner comes to take over the part that was controlled by the original partner. Miyad Omad al Hamatona Viomar, the uh, the partner, the uh, fellow, the original fellow, was, who claimed he was removing himself and made a kinyan, he automatically starts to protest and and saying, "Lo nosati marti I didn't give you my holding in the field. That I said mainly that was just to keep you quiet so that we shouldn't argue with one another. I try to give you a good feeling just to keep you quiet, but I wasn't serious." So, in a case like that, the case of Orer literally means to, he comes to protest. But it's a protest with, uh, with the implication that it's an immediate protest. Then, the Kenyan that accompanied the Dinu Dvarim statement is, in fact, in, in effect, uh, wor- the Kenyan was worthless. And the original fellow maintains his ownership of half the property. Avol, the Oimeid. Rashi goes on. If there was a Dinudvarim statement, a Kenyan made, and uh, the uh, the partner that uh, said Dinudvarim didn't speak up for a day, for two days, and the Achakach era, and then and then afterwards he started to protest. Lo, then his protest will uh, not be effective, and the Kenyan that he made would be good. Oh, right now he decided to back out. And people told him, well, why don't you say say this, say whatever words of protest that he said. The Gemara goes on, on the second line from the top, Omar Amemar, Migufa Shokarka, Konu Miyado. Amemar rules like uh, Rav Nachman, which uh, would seem to... Uh, say that a Kenyan is always effective. You see, what Abaye had done, Abaye had come to explain Rav Yosef's position. But Amemar is, is paskining, is ruling like Rav Nachman, that the Kenyan makes the Dinu Dvarim statement effective. Now the Gemara clarifies what we just suggested. Is, what, is our suggestion true? Omar le Rav Ashi le Amemar. You just said Is it even in a case where the protest is immediate or only after a day or two lapsed and then the protest was heard? What practical difference does that make? As we saw in uh, Abaye's explanation of Rav Yosef namely that if it's effective only uh, in the case of Ba'oimeid, but in the case of Orer, Kenya wouldn't be effective. 
then you would be uh, ruling essentially like Rav Yosef, uh, uh, following Abaye's analysis. Omar Lei, Ramema responds, Lo Shmiya Li, Kolomar Lo Sviro Li. I didn't hear it, which means, which which really means I don't hold from it. Meaning, I don't hold from the Rav Yosef Abaye analysis, which with the result being that under all circumstances the Kenyan is effective, even if uh, immediately following the Dinudvarim with the Kenyan we heard a protest. Too late. You made a Kenyan, so you cannot back out. We saw this in the Mishnah. If uh, if the language was ineffective, uh, then for what benefit did it have? So the Mishnah said it had benefit. By saying, Though he continues to eat the fruits, though he would inherit her if she dies in his lifetime, what he does forego is the right to veto her sales. So, before we go on in the Gemara, we glance at the side. We have a Nosei, Mivneh heading. We have a double underline. You can see uh, in, uh, a couple of them in the next uh, couple lines. The uh, heading on the side reads, the double underline is used to highlight the expression Vitemole or Vimo. Tainos Shihi Eino Yechoilo Litong. We're going to present claims that she cannot make. Velomar Lebailo claims that would would have said to her, to her husband Shistalakto Midvar Machem that you removed yourself from uh, other things. In our Mishnah, we saw that the Dinu Dvorim was ineffective in removing in his removal from the Peros and from inheriting her, but it did remove him from the veto rights. Maybe. Uh, Maybe it should have. Maybe he, the dinner form should be should have been effective to remove him from some, one of the other things mentioned, and not the veto rights. So how is it that the Mishnah concluded that it's the veto rights that the dinudvarim expression is effective for, and not the other things? And we say the dinudvarim means dinudvarim ainly benechosach, the first example of the Mishnah. So the Gemara asks the Temole, Once you see that the has some power, it does cancel his veto uh, veto of her sales. Um, why not say, Why can't she say to him, means let the wife say to the husband, You have removed yourself from everything. Omar Abaye. You'll, you see, we have a house marking. On, on the side uh, of the Gemara, where we feature this marking, and we've written, Hezbeirom shel Abaye v'rav Ashi lomahi lo yechilu litoin hachi. Both uh, Abaye and later Rav Ashi will explain why she cannot say this. So uh, Abaye says, Omar Abaye, Yad bal hashtar al hatachtoina. Literally, the the hand or the power of the of the of the man of of the one owning the star is uh, on the is he has he she has the lower she has the the we'll call the underhand or the the lower hand. What do we mean by that? The lesser power. 
that's uh, too much to call literal explanation. But if we look in Rashi, on the upper part of the narrow lines, the third narrow line, Yad Bala Shtar Latachtonu, Kol Hamotzi Shtar Al Hamuchsuk Bedovar. If uh, we'll say that that A is in possession of something and B produces a document challenging A's possession of, but A is currently in possession of it. So one who t- produces a star against someone that's holding on to something, ma shemefurush b'star yochol libo alav. That which is stated explicitly or clearly in the document, so you can collect that. If the star, if this uh, contract or this um, document is vague, sosum means it's not clearly spelled out. And we entitle the star holder to receive, but the least of the different possibilities. The Khan Habal. We have a husband that is considered in possession of the wife's property with regard to three matters. To eat the fruits, to inherit the property, and to veto her, veto her sales. Vizu, the woman, the wife, she produces a document in which is written, it's an expression of removal from. And the husband can say, Yes, I removed from something, but I removed from myself from the least of the items. And this has to do with the, the veto rights of the Mechira. But as long as you don't sell the property, Peros, I will continue eating the fruits. So the Gemara had suggested, and just to review what we have seen, the Gemara suggested, let the woman say to her husband, once you've written an expression of removal, you have moved yourself from everything. Abaye says, the woman is coming with a shtar, the shtar of dinu dvoim but the shtar enables her, since it's not explicit what he was removing himself, it enables her to lay claim on the husband's uh, expression only with regard to the least of the rights. And what did we say is the least of the rights? The right to veto the sales. But he maintains or he retains the rights to the fruits and the rights of inheritance. The Gemara asks, you, a moment ago, we said that the least of the powers that the husband may have had was veto rights of her sales. Maybe it's fruit eating. That's the least of the things and not the veto rights. Omar Abaye. Abaye answers, Butsino Tov Mikora. This is an expression that um, roughly translates, uh, roughly means, one bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. On a more literal level, uh, a butsina is a type of vegetation that's a young form, an Im- a premature form of a kora. If a person comes to you and offers you, uh, take the take the butsina. In Rashi, you see a, a more okay, more contemporary expression, a dalas. We don't like to in Gemara markings. We don't like to translate. 
uh, food items and uh, and animals and several and other other type things that we don't have a strong tradition on. So whatever it is, it's sufficient for us to say a uh, a dalas, a young dalas. Uh, is better than a, 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 a an adult one, which is a, a Korah, a Dlas Gedoyles, Rashi says. So if you have someone that makes an offer to you, uh, take uh, take the, the small one right now. Uh, if you want to like, if you want to give me money for the Dlas, you can take the small one now, or wait till it wait till it gets uh, big later on. Our advice is. Take the small one now because you don't know what is going to be in a month from now. So too, when it comes to the husband and the wife and his association with the properties, it's better for him to enjoy that which he has right now, the rights to the fruits, which is a constant thing and it's an immediate thing, as opposed to her sales, which isn't now. She hasn't sold anything yet. It'll have significance if she decides to sell, but she might never decide to sell. So that the the less desirable of the rights is the veto. The more desirable, the better thing is the rights to the fruits. Hence, we said he 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 forgoes through the dinut varim ain't expression the the least of the rights. Let's continue in the Gemara. The Yerusha. Maybe it's the instead of saying the veto rights of sales, it's the right to inherit. That that's the least of things. Uh, and and why? It's also an issue of doubt. Maybe she won't die in his life. Maybe he'll outlive her. But uh, uh, and on the other hand, as far as Mechira, that he doesn't forego. Maybe she'll sell and he'll lose out eating the fruits, which he's doing right now. So the Gemara answers: Omar Abaye Misa Shricha Mechira Lo Shricha. Relatively speaking. Uh, Misa, the uh, death is more common. There's a 50% chance, we'll say, without knowing any medical facts, there's a 50% chance here that that she might die in his lifetime and he would have the chance to inherit her. The, I, the chances that she's going to sell are remote. They're low, they're very, it's uncommon. And therefore there's no, there's no real need for him to have a right to veto, to cancel, to void something that is not not to be expected in the first place. Rashi adds a, 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 a just a detail here. Why do we say that because a woman doesn't want to part with properties that she received from her father. Rashi calls uh, he says the base of the expression reminds us of the concept of shvach base of which in the past we have explained as being related to the concept of something having sentimental value. We continue in the Gemara. Rebuta Omer li'oylam hu'oychel peri peros. Tonu Rabbanon elu hein peros v'elu hein peri peros. What is meant by peros, and what is meant by the expression peri peros? Hechnisolo karka v'yosta peros. A woman brings in a piece of land uh, to the marriage, and the land produces fruits. Harei hein peros. Those are the peros. Mochar peros v'lokach me'am karka. If the peros were sold, and uh, and with the uh, proceeds from that sale, 
he purchased a piece of land, the Osta Peros, and that purchased piece of land produces fruits, Harei, Hain, Peri Peros. That is the fruit of the fruit, the purchased piece of land being considered the first generation of fruit. The Gemara asks, within Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe Yehuda said that uh, a man who used the expression of Din Udvarim Ein Libin Chosach Ubeperosam, we saw in the Mishnah that according to Rebbe Yehuda, he's entitled to the Peri Peros. What does Rebbe Yehuda really mean? Ibayalaho, Rebbe Yehuda, Peri Peros Dafka, Odilmo Ad Oilom Dafka, when we uh, learned the Mishnah, we indicated that the uh, expression that uh, that was used uh, by Rebbe Yehuda, uh, that he he still has Peri Peros rights until he writes an elaborate expression, namely which expression uh, will be binding in order for him to remove himself from the Peri Peros as well. And that's what the Gemara just presented in a three uh, three stage or three possibility question. This is a, not a very common Gemara form where you have an O Dilma twice within one question. That means you have possibility A, possibility B, and possibility C. The, uh, uh, we should point out the the uh, issue lasts a number of lines, and you can see that we have a uh, under the Nosei Mivne heading the triangles that appear Shlavim. These represent stages Lahavin Shitas Rebuda by Mishnah. So we're going to go through. We raise the question: Which language is absolutely necessary in? Uh, for the expression of removal to be effective according to Rabbi Huda. Before we continue, by the way, we should look in Rashi on the lower third of the page. Peri Peros Dafka. Bahai Lishna Luchud Saki Listuluki Mi Peri Peros. Umi Peri De Peri Peros. Is it so that with this expression, if a person would say, Would that be enough to remove him from the second generation of fruits and the third generation of fruits? And you don't really need him to add Ad Oilom. Had he written that Dinu Dvorim Ainli bin that would not have been effective in removing him from the Peri Peros. So that is essentially our question. We go back to the Gemara. Im Tim Salomar. If we're reading from the first triangle, if you say Peri Peros Dafka, that in order to have him removed from the Peri Peros, You've got to spell that out. Well, ad oilom lomali, then why would he add the a superfluous expression of ad olam? The Gemara answers, we can tell you why he would do that. Ha komash malon, kevon de kosav law, peri peros. Once he writes, 
Peri Paris, which is the binding expression. Keman the Kosavlo Ad Oilom Domi. It's as if he wrote Ad Olam, but not that he needs to have Ad Olam there. V'intim Tzolomar Ad Olam Dafka. And if you say that that is the binding expression, and you don't really need to have Peri Peros, if he would say, Dinudvorim Eini B'nechosayich Ad Olam. That would be enough. Why then do you need the expression of Peri Peros? What the Mishnah would be telling us and what it means is Afagav the Kosovlo Peri Peros, even if he would have written Peri Peros, I Kosovlo Adolom in Ilolo. Only if he writes Adolom will he be, uh, will that be an effective removal. Without that, it would not be effective. Ve'im tinsilomar travayhu davka, and if you say no, you really need to have periperos and ad olam tarti lomalim. So then, why do I need both? In other words, what would I have thought had I had only one of them? So we answer tzricha the e kosav law periperos v'lo kosav law ad olam had. Just Peri Peros been written without Adolam. Havi Amino Peri Peros who delo ochil avopiro de Peri Peros ochil. I would have thought that by removing yourself by from Peri Peros without stating Adolam that you're disqualifying removing yourself from the second generation of fruits, but not from the third generation of fruits. Therefore. In order for him to be removed from all generations of fruits, he has to have a lot of law. The ikosa of law adolam, the locos of law periperos, and had he written just adolam and not periperos, have amina, I would have thought that leoilam aperos koi. That just to go, let's go over the expression that would have been. He would have said dinuvaram ainli benechosayech ubeperosam adolam. I would have thought the Adolam means he's removing himself from the first generation of fruits forever. That from those, he'll never benefit. But from, from a subsequent generation of fruits, that he would benefit from. Just to go over that point again, what I would have thought is that uh, he's saying, I'm not going to eat these fruits ever. But to take those fruits, the first generation of fruits, and buy a piece of land from which other fruits would be produced, had he had just Adolam without the Peri Paris, I would have thought that he'd be entitled to those second generation of fruits. Lahachi Itzterich Peri Paris. And for that, because of that, we need to have the Peri Paris along with the Adolam. So this Gemara basically. Uh, raised the possibility and um, doesn't really come to a conclusion. All it did is it raised the possibility and it, that which expression is truly effective and if that be the case, why was the other expression mentioned at all in the Mishnah? Before we continue in the Gemara, we have a Nosei Mivneh heading on the side. You can see we featured a trapezoid or volcano shape, which we call a ma'akav, an attempt to keep track 
of a give and take style of Gemara. So with the narrow part facing up, that represents a law, or a, say the raising of a problem. The inverted uh, direction, tshuva, is a response. Yesh levo'ir law nisheres. We want to point out that this question remains. Uh, it's interesting that this will be similar to the structure of the Gemara before, where um, a question had been raised within Rabbi Huda, but we didn't see a, a response. Similarly here, we're going to raise a question, and the response is not going to be forthcoming. Ma yehei im kosav din udvorem li and the word, the perosim, which is a reference to the first generation of fruits, was left out. In the previous question, we had uh, preserved that. In other words, and the question was, what about the need for both of the continued expressions? Peru Perusem and Ad Olam. But here we're going to be asking uh, what would be if the initial Perusem was left out? Ibayalaho. Kosav law dinudvarim ainli benachosayach ube peri perusehem. Mahu sheyochal peros. Can he continue to benefit from the peros? Mi peri perois solik nafshe, mi peri lo solik nafshe, by by saying just dinudvarm eni benechosach ube peri perusem is he removing himself just from the second generation of produce and not from the first generation of dumo mikol mili solik nafshe. Maybe he is in effect removing himself from all of them. The Gemara attempts to answer. It says, "Pshita demikol mili solik nafshe." It's obvious that he's removing himself from everything. De amris mi peri peros solik nafshe mi peri lo solik nafshe. That he's removing himself from the second generation, but not from the first generation of peros. What does that mean? He's not removing himself from the first generation. It means he's going to eat the first generation of peros. Well, Gavon da Achlinu Peros, once he's consumed the first generation of peros, Peri Peros Mecha, where would the Peri Peros come from? What did we say before was Peri Peros? Peri Peros is where a person did not eat the first generation of fruits. He took them and, and exchanged them or sold them for land, and from that land there was produced Peri Peros. So in order to get the Peri Peros, you have to have not consumed the Peros themselves, the first generation. But if you're saying that he has not removed himself from benefiting from the Peros, you would have no situation of Peri Peros coming about. So therefore, when he, uh, uh, when he says he is removing himself from, uh, as the Loshan was, that he's removing himself from the Peri Peros, that means their Peri Peros came to be, and he is not going to benefit from them. How did they come to be? Because he didn't benefit from the Peri's first generation either. So hence the Gemara says it's obvious that he's removing himself from the first generation as well. 
Gemara um, rejects that and says, Ulatamech, according to your reasoning, in our mission we saw, Rebuta saying that he is going to, he's always entitled to Peri Peros unless he writes, by writing, for example, uh, that he's removing himself from Nechosayach uh, and Perosehem, in contrast to the Tanakama, the Tanakama, Rabbi Yehuda came in and said, he, uh, by, by saying, he doesn't remove himself from the Peri Peros. So, the, uh, the statement of Rabbi Yehuda then would have been understood. Kevon dachaltinu the Peri, once he has eaten the Peros, then Peri Peros mehecha. According to Rabbi Yehuda, uh, if he were to write Dinudvarm Ainli Benachosayach Ubapero Sehem, so he's not removing himself from the Peri Peros. How can Rabbi Yehuda say that Leolum Oichel Peri Peros if he has already eaten the Peros? So how are we to understand Rabbi Yehuda? Elah, but the Shaira, where true he was able to eat the peros, but he didn't eat them all up. He left over, and from the left over, he bought a piece of land, and that land produced the peri peros, and that's what Rabbi Yehuda would be referring to when he says in the Mishnah Oilam Oichel Peri Peros. So even if he has. Even if he hasn't removed himself from the peros and has consumed them, he didn't consume all of them, leaving the possibility of producing peri peros, and he would be eating from those as well, unless he uses the full expression. So, just like in order to understand Rebuda, we have to say b'deshaira, hachonami b'deshaira. So too, in our case, the with regard to the chachomim. In regard to our question, you would have to say that it's talking about a case of Bidashaira. So that you can't say that it's Pshita, that it's obvious he has removed himself from everything, that he has removed himself from the Peros. No, he didn't remove himself from the Peros. If he had said, it might very well be that he is removing himself only from the Peri Peros, and not from the Peros. And you'll ask, if he didn't remove himself from the Peros, how can you come to Peri Peros to begin with? The answer is, Bidashaira, he, though he had rights to the Peros, he didn't consume them fully. He left over some, giving room for this very possibility. So, as we indicated earlier, the original question of a person who says, Dinudvarim, leaving out the peros, what ramifications does that language or that version have regarding the peros themselves? That remains unanswered. Rabon Shimoin ben Gamliel Oimer. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel appeared in the Mishnah saying, that even though he may have made a 
statement of removal from her properties and said, I'm removing myself from your properties while you're alive and after you die. Though the Tanakhama said that that's effective in removing the husband from being able to inherit her, according to Rabbi Shalom Leo, it's not effective and he will inherit anyway. Because he is making a condition against that which the Torah provides for. That's called Masne Amashikosuf Torah. Now we turn to the Gemara and uh, we read Omar Rav Halocho Kribishimin ben Gamliel Veloi Mitaame. It's a kind of an. Uh, an unclear and abstract statement. He says, we follow the ruling of Rav Shum Leo, but not because of his reason. So the Gemara asks, my haloch Rav Shum Leo, what do you mean by, by that? You see diamonds, and on the side of the Gemara, under our Nosei Mivne heading, the diamonds represent Shlavim. They're stages. Lohavin, Hod Rav, haloch Rav Shum Leo, What What does Shumil mean by that? So, just take an overview, a bird's eye view of this Gemara. You'll have to have Daf Pei Dalit Omid Aleph in front of you. And you'll notice that these diamonds continue down the upper quarter of the Pei Dalit Omid Aleph four stages uh, before we can understand what he meant. E Lema, we first stage. If, if you say, Halach of Shumli, Odiyamar Imesa Yurashena, that Rav agrees that if the woman dies in the husband's lifetime, the husband will inherit her, even though he had removed himself from her properties. But not for the same reason Ushkamil gave. Rabbi Shumamil holds that conditions that you make against that which is in the Torah are void. And Rav holds that if you make a condition against something provided for by the Torah, your condition will remain. The Kosovar, however, Rav holds, Yerusha Sabal Durabonon, the power of a husband to inherit his wife is, is rabbinic. The Chachomim Asuchizik Lidivrem Yosemishel Torah. And the Chachomim, when it comes to their rulings, they increase the power to their rulings more than the way we treat Torah law. So that when it comes to Torah law, Rav would tell you, unlike Rav Shumam Liel, that the Tanai is standing. You can make a Tanai against the Torah law. But when it comes to Rabbinic law, there you cannot. You can't make a condition against the Rabbinic law because they made their laws stronger than the Torah laws, at least in this sense. The um, Rashi gives us a little bit of background to Shitas Rav according to this suggestion that Rav would be saying that Masna Masha the Tanai is standing. You have, you have to think about there a minute for that a minute. The, the Torah says one thing, I come along and can can make in condition that states the uh, otherwise. So Rashi adds, second line from the bottom, Rav Sovar Tano Kayam. And that has a Tanaic basis. 
can Rebbe Yudah, because you can't have Rav just arguing with the Tana. Rav is not a Tana in the classic sense of the word, and he'd come and argue with Rav Shemliel. Rav has, though, another Tanaic basis. And that's what Rashi points out, like Rebbe Yudah, do Amar Gabi, Mekadish a man marries a woman and stipulates that I marry you on condition that I do not have to provide for you the things that the Torah wants me to provide. And what are the provisions that a man must provide for his wife? Share Ksusviona. Uh, share will just translate as being uh, a food, Ksus, clothing, and Ona, conjugal relations. So Rabbi Huda says, with the exception of oino, which has to do with conjugal relations, when it comes to the food and clothing, which are monetary matters, he can make a stipulation. Even the Torah expected the man to provide that for his wife. You can stipulate that marriage will not include that. In other words, that you will not provide those things, and on those conditions, you're marrying her. So, why then would Rav agree that you can that the husband, though he removed himself, will still inherit her. And after saying that Yerusha Sabal, the inheritance of a husband, is rabbinic, the Chachomim imposed strength to their rulings that the husband shall inherit the wife. And that will resist or be resilient to conditions that he may impose on that. And that's why Rav would agree with the law of Rav Shalom Leo that the husband will inherit, but for a different reason. The Gemara continues at the top of Pei Dalet Omer Aleph with a question. The Sava Rav Tano Kayam does, would Rav say that uh, a man who's Masna Amashikosu B'Torah when it comes to a Torah law that his stipulation is effective that he can make a ruling against what the Torah says. And here we're dealing once again within the realm of monetary matters. And let's see but what Rav holds. I know we saw the Tana Rebuta says that you can make a stipulation in, in, in monetary matters which would counter the Torah's uh, expectation. But does Rav agree with that? Rav says, in a case of a person who says to his friend, I'm, I'm selling you something, I'm selling you an item, and I'm going to charge you a certain amount of money, and I'm selling this on condition that you don't come to me with a claim that I have overcharged you. In other words, there's an item has a certain market value, and I, I intend to charge you. A, I intend to, to charge you a price. You might discover that it's more than the market value by a significant increase. The the deal is going to be is going to be binding, and you're not going to come to me with claims of oino. Rav Omar Yesh Loy Olov Oino. Rav says. Even though you stipulated that the, that the uh, the purchaser will not be able to come of claims of Onah, your stipulation falls away. Your tenai, your condition is botel, is void. Because you were masna mashakasabato. The Torah says that you shall not overcharge by too much. And if you do, you've got to either the, call the deal off or return the money, whatever the case may be. But the... Torah says one thing, you cannot make stipulations against 
the Torah's expectations. So that right there, you see the question. We have a bracketed section because we want to de-emphasize Shmuel's position. It's not important for right now because we're focusing on Rav. But nevertheless, in the brackets of Shmuel Omar, Ain Lo Alovano, the condition that he makes stands in that case. So we don't have um, an explanation yet for what did Rav mean when he says, I, the halacha is like Shmuel Omar, but not mitame, not because of his reason. Ella, stage two. Halacha Shimam Liel Diomar Hamas Na Mashikos Batura Tano Botel. The Halacha follows that that one can make a condition against that which uh, that one who makes a condition against that which the Torah provides for the condition is void. Falav mitame not but not for the same reason. The Ilu of Shumaliel Savar Mesa Yoshena of Shumal holds that when a woman dies in the husband's lifetime, the husband will inherit her. And the Rav will say, when she dies in his lifetime, the husband does not inherit her. The Gemara asks, this doesn't make any sense, though. This high, uh, the presentation you just made was, you were setting up Rav as agreeing with the reasoning of Rav Shemam Liel, but not with the ruling of Rav Shemam Liel. So, we're not looking for that, though. We're looking for Rav holding the halacha like Rav Shemam Liel, but for different reasoning. So, to say what you just did in diamond number two, you're saying that Rav agrees with the reasoning of Rav Shemam Liel concerning Masa but disagrees with his final Ruling. Ela halacha kushumam liel diomar yemesi yoshen. Rav will agree with the final ruling of shumam liel that if a woman dies in her husband's lifetime, the husband will inherit her, but not for the same reason. Diilu shumam liel savar bedoraisa tano batel hal bedurabonon tano kayam. The Rav savar afilu bedurabonon tano batel. Rabbi Shimon Liel holds that in Torah-type laws, the stipulations or conditions that he makes against the Torah will be void. But in rabbinic laws, the Tanai will have effectiveness. Um, and that would be so if a man, let's say, made a Tanai uh, not to eat the fruits of his wife's field. For Rav, Afilu Bidurabonon Tano Botel. Rav would go we'll say differently technically speaking Rav will go further that not only in the rices are the conditions you make against Torah rulings void but even against rabbinic rulings the conditions you make against them will be void well the Gemara is not happy with this third presentation either hi kitame ukehil chasehu v'rav moisifu Rav in effect, is in total agreement with Rav Shem Liel's basic halacha, namely im meisah yiroshen. If the woman dies in the husband's lifetime, the husband will inherit her, and he agrees with Rav Shem Liel's tanai, or I should say ta'am tame, his his um, explanation that you can't make conditions against Torah provisions. Rav just goes a step further. He says that even in rabbinic rulings, you can't make uh, stipulations against their rabbinic rulings. So Rav is 
Moisif. He's adding to Reb Shimon Ben He's going a stage, a step further. But to portray Rav, if you say like number three as Lav Mitame, that's not accurate. Ella Halacha Reb Shimon Liel Diomar Yemesi Rav agrees with the halacha shulamil that if a woman dies in the husband's lifetime, the husband will inherit her. Falav mitame, but not for the same reason. The ilu rav shulamil sovar yerushas habal doraisa. The cholamasne amashokos amashikosu b'torah to no potel. Rav Shumliel says the husband will inherit her anyway because the husband's inheritance to his wife's properties is a Torah level provision, and you can't make conditions. To the contrary of a Torah provision. Rav Sovar Yerusha Sabal de Rabbonan. Rav, once again, he agreed that the husband will inherit. But why? First of all, because Yerusha Sabal is of rabbinic origin. The Chachomim Osuchizuk Ludivreim Kishel Torah. And the Chachomim made their rulings like Torah-level rulings. And just like in Torah-level rulings, the condition that counters the Torah would be void, so too in rabbinic matters, the Torah, the, the condition that one would make would be void. So, just to review the last point, and this is what seems to be accepted, that when Rav, Shuma, when Rav says, the, the basic law, the bottom line, husband will inherit her anyway, even if he made a condition. But why will the condition be void? Rab Shumala says, because your condition is countering a Torah provision. According to Rav, it's a different reason, because your condition is countering a rabbinic pro- uh, provision. The Gemara raises a question. You notice this is a long question. Does Rav really hold that, that the husband's rights of inheritance to his wife's property is merely rabbinic v'hatanan. Rabbi Yochanan and Broka Oimer Hayoyreshes Ishto Yachzir Livnei Mishpacha V'yenake Lo Minadomim. This last phrase Yachzir Minadomim. We're going to wait for the Gemara to explain that later on. So let's not um, worry about that. Literally, it means and he'll subtract from the money, but it doesn't have meaning for us right now. What we do have to focus on is Rabbi Yochan Broka's teaching that um, a man who inherits from his wife, when the Yovel year comes, he has to return the property to his wife's family. That's Yachsir Levnei Mishpacha. Just a word about Yovel before going on in the Gemara. The Jubilee year when, as, as every 50 years, during the time of the Beis Hamikdash, the practice was that every 50 years, all properties purchased during that time would go back to the original owner. The original owner is someone who is attached to the land because his father had owned the land. And his father got it from his father, going back to the distribution of land in the time of Yoshua, in the time of Joshua, during the uh, conquest and distribution of the land amongst the different tribes. So any land purchased during the Yovel period uh, is returned to, when the Yovel year comes, the 50th year arrives, it's returned to its original owner. Rabbi Yochan Merucha says that a man who inherits from his wife, so it's returned to her family. 
We continue in the Gemara. We ask, my Kosovar, what is his opinion? E Kosovar Yerushas Habal Doraisa, a husband's inheritance of his wife is a Torah level provision. Amai Yachsir, why does he have to return the property to her family? Yerusha, in general, inheritance does not go back, isn't returned in the Yovel time. Inheritance, by definition, means you are now the owner, having received it from someone who was the who had previously owned it through his inheriting it, and going all the way back to the time of Yoshua. The de Rabbonon, if uh, Yerusha Sabal is the Rabbonon, meaning Midoraisa, a husband doesn't really inherit his wife, so we can understand the fields have to go back to the real original owners. Domim my aviditai. What's the what's the payment? It says you're nakelomin adomim. The Omar Rav, and here we dash on the line Rav because this is the focus of our questions. Shitas Rav. Rav says the Oyum Kosovar Yerushas Habal Doraisa. Rav explains that Rabbi Yochan Brokud will tell you that the uh, the husband's rights to inherit is a Torah level provision. And then the issue is, so why in Yovel is he returning it? His wife owned property that included, and here was, and specifically, she owned the, uh, her family's graveyard. There's a concept even to this day in some places, you see uh, family plots. So she owned her family's plots when she died so the husband inherits that piece of real estate happens to be graveyard real estate but that's what the husband owns now the husband is a is a as far as his wife's family he's an outsider he married the wife but to as far as uh, her family he's a he's an outsider and the, as a result of that mishum pegam mishpocha omurabonon lishkol domi velahader for the sake of preserving family honor you see her family would be we'll say uh, disgraced or shamed that their family plot is owned by some other guy, by her, by by someone who married into that family. So, in order to preserve the family dignity, that's pagam mishpocha. Pagam has to do with shame. So, in order to avoid their shame, or as we say, preserve their dignity, the rabbi said, "You know what you inherited from your wife? Give it back to her family and take money, take a cash equivalent for that. So, you're inheriting the value of the property." And take money, that's Lishkol Domi, there and return the family plot to her family. What does this uh, subtraction from the money mean? So, just for sake of simplicity and round numbers, the family plot was worth $100. So, it's saying here, you give them back the family plot, and you get back a certain amount of money, $100 less something. Less ten dollars. So why? Answer: Demei kever ishto. Amongst that that family plot was also the the spot in which the 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 man's own wife would be buried. A man is obligated to bury his wife. 
he has to pay out of pocket for her burial. So that's not something he can expect her family to compensate him for. Kedisanya. And here we have a Tanaic source that bears that out. Hamochil kivoroi, vederach kivoroi, ma'amodo mokum hespedo, a person who sells his grave and the path to his grave, and the ma'amodo is an area around in the vicinity of the graveyard where the um, where the uh, mourners would be consoled, and the mokum hespedo, uh, it's a spot where the eulogies were made. So one who sells this uh, his grave to some outsider, uh, the family members of that seller, they will come and, and when that seller dies, they'll put that body of the body of the seller into that grave that he sold against the will of the purchaser because of this idea of preserving uh, fam- the family's dignity. You can't have uh, an outsider owning uh, a, a, a part or certainly all of some other family's uh, grave plots. So at the end of this discussion, what do we see? We've dashed underlined the main point, and that is Rav holds that the husband's inheritance of wife's properties is de oraisa. And that's why we have the question going down till this point. Before, we had presented Rav as holding... Uh, when he was explaining, uh, uh, when we were explaining before that the halacha, that Rav holds like Rishkam Leo, but not for the same reason, in presenting that we said that Rav holds the Yerushas Habal is the Rabbonon. But here in this discussion, uh, where Rav came to explain Rabbi Yochanan Broka, we see something to the effect of Rav being associated with the Yerushas Habal being Doraisa. The Gemara answers, Rav Litameh de Rabbi Yochanan Broka Komar. When you saw Rav most recently, where we dashed under Rav and the word Doraisa, that's where Rav was coming to explain the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka that we had in the framed Tanaic source. But that doesn't mean that that's Rav's own opinion. He's explaining that particular Tana's way of thinking. Valei lo svirolei. Rav himself doesn't hold. Rather, he holds that Yerusha Sabal is the Rabbonon. As we had said earlier, when we presented our fourth diamond in explanation of Rav's uh, original statement that the Aloha follows Rabshum Mengamil, but Velav Mitame.